بودكاست لونش توك حلقة رقم 009 أول بودكاست كويتي متخصص في تغذية الأحداث والإطلاقات في عالم الأعمال في العالم وفي الكويت بشكل خاص يقدم لكم محدثكم خالد الزنكي وهدفنا في البودكاست توفير معلومات متنوعة في البزنس بودكاست لونش توك يعتبر أحد برامج لونش اون فاير والحلقة هذه راح تكون باللغة الإنجليزية and this episode will be in English language في البداية خلونا نشكر الشركات الراعية لبودكاست لونش اون فاير، الراعي الاستراتيجي وزارة الدولة لشؤون الشباب، والراعي الشريك شركة علي الغانم واولادها للسيارات، والراعي الذهبي اسنان تاور، ونشكر الجهات الاعلامية الراعية بعد سنسكيب، مجلة المصارف، مجلة ذا سيتي، وجريدة الكويتية. نحو شباب متمسك بالقيم والابداع وشريك في التنميه المستدامه للوطن، هذه رؤيه وزاره الشباب اللي تاسست بمرسوم اميري في 2013. تقدرون تعرفون عنهم اكثر بموقعهم الالكتروني www.youth.gov.kw او تابعوهم بتويتر او الانستغرام @youthkuwait. شركة علي الغانم وأولاده للسيارات هي الوكيل الحصري والموزع المعتمد لمجموعة سيارات ماكلارن، لاند روفر، روز رويز، بي ام دبليو، وميني في الكويت. تابعوهم على الانستغرام @عليالغانمسونز علشان تشوفون آخر العروض والسيارات الجديدة اللي وصلت المعرض أول بأول. الاسنان هي سر جاذبيه اي واحد فينا ابتسامتك وجاذبيتك تكون متميزه وخصوصا اذا كانت ابتسامتك هوليوديه وفي البزنس لها دور في مستوى تاثيرك في الناس اللي حواليك اسنان تاور اكبر العيادات في الشرق الاوسط والمتميزه في علاج وتجميل الاسنان في الكويت اتصل على اسنان تاور واحجز موعدك اليوم على 2573666 شركة سينما الكويتية الوطنية سينسكيب عندهم أكثر من 12000 كرسي في 12 موقع في الكويت، أفلامهم متنوعة من أكشن وكوميديا ودراما ورعب وإثارة وتشويق، مع سينسكيب تعيش الدور، وأكثر من 60 سنة وسينسكيب في خدمتكم. الإعلام هو واجهة المجتمعات، هو اللي يعرف الناس على تفاصيل كل مجتمع، ذا سيتي مجلة كويتية باللغة الإنجليزية تبرز كل ايجابيات المجتمع الكويتي وتسلط الضوء على انجازات ونجاحات شباب الكويت والخليج، هدفها الوصول الى العالميه، مجله ذا سيتي من الكويت الى العالم. الكويتيه جريده يوميه شامله تسعى لمواكبه التطورات المحليه والاقليميه والعالميه بشكل موضوعي مبتكر، الكويتيه مرجع اساسها المصداقيه من مبادئها احترام الراي والراي الاخر تلقون آخر الأخبار على الكويتية دوت كوم Okay, let's get started with today's episode and launch talk podcast. 
I'm so excited to introduce my guest, David Burkas. David, are you ready for the launch? Absolutely, I'm excited. Awesome. David is the author of The Myth of Creativity and The Truth About How to Innovate Companies and People to Generate Great Ideas. His work on leadership, innovation, and a strategy that has been published in many journals and publications. He is contributor writer for Forbes and Harvard Business Review. I have given our listeners just a quick overview about yourself. Could you please take a minute or so to tell our listeners about yourself and to talk about the role of creativity in small businesses? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting. I've I've been on the ground here in Kuwait for for less than 24 hours, but the entrepreneurship culture is really impressing me. It's been it's been fun. So speaking to that has been awesome. So who am I? Uh, I look at my role as uh, I try to facilitate the transfer of good ideas. And so in, in this context, one of the, the um, gifts that I've been working to develop is how do you tell stories, how do you, how do you tell stories and how do you synthesize, particularly psychological research, but a lot of different research on how the brain works in a creative fashion. Uh, and really, uh, the idea for the book, The Myths of Creativity, came out of that. There's a lot of stories I feel like people tell themselves, big businesses and especially entrepreneurs, about how their creativity is supposed to work. And so my job is to facilitate the good ideas, the ones that are true, the ones that are useful, to facilitate those to help grow that culture. So that's, that's what I look at it as, as what I do. And I do that in a variety of forms, from speaking to, to writing the book, to writing on the Harvard Business Review and Forbes and all that. It's all in the service of trying to get good ideas to spread faster. Awesome. David, I'm so excited today and thrilled to get into our conversation. But before we do, we always start our podcast with a success quote. So take it away. So interestingly, it's actually on the back wall behind us as we're recording this. I don't know if you've ever posted photos of your really cool artwork. Yeah, back we here, did but on Instagram. There's a, uh, there's a wonderful picture of Steve Jobs. And one of my favorite quotes from, from Mr. Jobs is that creativity is just connecting things. Although in true form of connecting things, he's not the only person to have said that, right? Uh, and actually, the story that I appreciate the most, it comes from Henry Ford, the, not the inventor. I like to trick people up and say, oh, inventor of the automobile, not the inventor of the automobile, not actually even the inventor of the assembly line. He was the one who saw the way that on a large scale uh, in Chicago, on a large scale, a lot of different uh, butcher shops and food production plants were using an assembly line format to prepare. And he looked at it and then looked at his knowledge of the automobile and thought, I could use the assembly line to create this. So he borrowed two ideas and connected them. He ended up on trial for plagiarizing, for stealing the idea for the automobile. And when he, when he was on trial, his defense was, I never claimed that I invented anything new. All I did was assemble parts that were already there. And if I had been working just five or 10 years beforehand, I would have failed. And I think there's a lot of value in that idea because they put so much pressure on having to come up with a wholly original idea when in reality, people who build empires like Steve Jobs or like Henry Ford, they were just the ones that connected two or three good ideas together. Amazing. David, what I really want to do now is dive into our major topic of today, creativity role in business, specifically in small businesses. Based on your experience, why some entrepreneurs consistently creative and others unoriginal? So uh, let me start with what, why a lot of people think, if that's okay, and then we'll talk into why they actually are. A lot of people talk about creativity as if it's something that comes from your genetic code, that it's something you were bred with. You, you grew up in a creative family or something like that, that it was a gift that was given to you early on. And there's not a lot of psychological research that supports that. Uh, I think there is a role for genetics in it, but as I like to say, it, nature has yet to disprove nurture. There's still a lot in how you grow up and how you develop. And so really, this is one of the ironies. People say, can you teach creativity? Aren't you just sort of born with it? Aren't some people have it and some they don't? You don't necessarily teach it. 
you try and bring people back to the mindset they had when they were children, where they were mm -hmm. free-taking risks and they were happy to imagine and engage their imagination. And I think the entrepreneurs that are incredibly seen as incredibly creative versus the ones that are not so, I mean, number one, the ones who are incredibly creative are usually more successful. But a lot of times it's just that they've stayed inside the practice and they trust the creative process more than people who have fallen out of out of that creativity. Now, whether we can we can talk a lot about whether it's the schooling system or the societal system or family says or what it is that gets people out of practice. Mm -hmm. But I think everybody starts with a fundamental idea about how imagination works to inspire creativity. And the, the most creative entrepreneurs are ones that never fell out of that practice. They just kept cultivating it. Awesome. David, I'm sure throughout your interaction with Fortune 500 companies and startups, you have discovered some failures in creativity. We want to hear one of those failure stories and what lessons you discovered and learned. So, you know, interestingly, the, the biggest lesson that I learned comparing, especially comparing Fortune 500s to startups, isn't the failures, but how the failures are treated, if I may. So uh, in a lot of Fortune 500 companies, a lot of organizations that I've worked with, we come in and we generate all of these great ideas and then people are afraid to propose them. Because in a, in a big organization, the higher up you go in the organization, the more your job turns into not losing your job, right? Mm -hmm. So the, more, the less you want to take a risk that would lead to your having to take responsibility for the failure. And so we have this really, uh, this approach to avoiding failure at all costs inside of Fortune 500s, inside of large organizations. Uh, and by the way, this, you know, I've, I've worked with the United States Navy. It's the same situation as with a Fortune 500 company. The larger the organization, for-profit, non-profit, et cetera, the less risk averse, or the more risk averse it becomes. Whereas startups, I think a lot of what I see when working with startups is, is people who are actually on their third or fourth attempt at a startup. And the idea of failure is just a part of the process. And eventually they will click into the one that is the most successful. So to me, it's less about the individual failure and more about the mindset with which people see failures. I think people who run successful startups see failures as just an opportunity to learn. Whereas people inside of a lot of big organizations are seeing that as I need to avoid failure at all costs because it'll negatively affect my career. Awesome. David, from all the lessons you discovered from failures, what is the one main important lesson you learned? I think that most ideas uh, for products, most ideas for new businesses fail, not because the idea wasn't good, but they fail because they failed to get the idea accepted. And, and to some extent, this is, this is broad basics of marketing. But in the other, the more original and more creative the idea, the harder that uh, society is going to look at it before be trying to apply it, right? So if you have a product that is totally revolutionary, breaks from the status quo entirely, you're going to have actually a harder time, even though you're excited about it because it's so new, you're going to have a harder time selling that to the customers that you need. Mm -hmm. So most ideas don't fail on the merits of the idea. They fail because they couldn't get the idea accepted. Awesome. David, let's go now to another side of our talk. Let's talk about the aha moment you have had in your journey in actually teaching creativity and actually coaching people and businesses to do so. Take us there and share with us one of those moments. So uh, I think a lot of my uh, aha moments, you know, you have this aha moment, the Eureka idea, and a lot of them come out of this sort of period of incubation. And so for me, the, the biggest one that I had was, uh, I'll say the idea for the book, although it's not, it's not really my idea, it's just an idea that I'm lucky enough to have and be a voice in, in spreading. There are, there are other books that attempt to sort of bust myths and faulty beliefs about uh, innovation and creativity. There are other books on innovation and creativity, and, and my uh, my aha moment came from reading and studying a lot of different ones and realizing that there wasn't one that was taking a point-by-point -point aim uh, at all of this. And that came mm -hmm. out of like a true eureka moment that came out of a period of incubation of reading a lot of stuff, setting back 
and thinking about it. And when all of the things connected properly, it snapped in and that became the idea for the Mists of Creativity. And that the book came out uh, a little over a year ago and it's led to an incredible ride in my career and a chance to spread great ideas uh, now all over the world. And we are excited to have you here in Kuwait to talk about creativity as well in your seminar. Uh, David, what was the creativity moment that you are proud of? So I'll get a little personal here. Uh, I I would love to say something from my career, something from writing the book, etc. But the thing that I'm most proud of, I think, in life is I have have two younger sons. They are uh, eight months old and one is just about to turn three months old. And from a creativity standpoint, I love interacting with my three-year-old because he sees the world open and is still willing to ask a lot of questions on things that I've just assumed are naturally that way. Mm-hmm. And so being able to look at things that I interact with every day from his mindset has, has generated all sorts of interesting ideas. And I, I think there's something there for creativity in, in general, that if you can look at the same thing with a new pair of eyes, you can see new needs you might not have noticed. And so that's, I'm proud of it because I, I mean, I love both of my children dearly, but I also love getting the chance to inspire his creativity and also see the world through the creativity he already has, which is wonderful. And kids are known for having no limits for their creativity and their ideas as well. That's the reason why we actually learn from them. Yeah, absolutely. David, there are many creativity myths people I'll always stumble upon. What is the top three myths in your opinion? So the, the top three myths I see, especially for entrepreneurs, I think are what I call the expert myth, the lone creator myth, and, and the mousetrap myth. And, and the, the expert myth is, essentially says that when you have a hard problem, you should go to the biggest expert in that that field and somebody who spent years and years and years in that field and helped them solve the problem. And in reality, the more you, time you spend in a field, the harder it is to see new and innovative, innovative solutions. So one of, one of my favorite stories along this line is a, an entrepreneur that is a friend of mine named Jay Martin. He designs uh, prosthetic limbs, arms, legs, et cetera, for people who have lost limbs. And he was working on a project once where he got a huge grant and was trying to work on it, hired lots of experts in the field and nobody could design what he was envisioning. So he fired all of them and hired interns from engineering departments at local universities and told them it could be done, but it was their job to figure it out and tapped into their little bit different perspective than his on how to see the problem and generated this one amazing product. So (laughs) sometimes experts aren't always the best source of those ideas. uh, Along along that lines, if you know you need to collaborate with someone, be it an expert or uh, an innovator, there's this lone creator idea. You know, we're, we're looking at this picture of Steve Jobs that hangs in the office and everybody loves to talk about Steve Jobs not enough people talk about Jobs and Steve Wozniak, or mm-hmm. later in life, Steve Jobs and Johnny Ive, who did all, a lot of the design. And I think that's a really dangerous myth, personally, for an entrepreneur, because we can feel like when we run into a problem, if we have to go get help, it means that we're failing, it means that we're not good enough. When in reality, every, every successful entrepreneur that we look at as a paragon of individual creativity had someone working with them. Mm-hmm. Whether it be Steve Jobs or, or uh, Jack Dorsey, who started Twitter and Square, or you go even throughout history with uh, Thomas Edison and General Electric, that was a, built out of a collaboration. Almost all of the great innovators were not singular people acting alone. They had mm-hmm. a team. And so this lone creator myth that I have to go it alone, I think is really dangerous because it can, let, it can make you think that you have to do it alone even if you fail. In reality, everybody seeks help now and again, and there's some greatness to that. Awesome. David, how important is education and knowledge acquisition in the role of becoming a creative entrepreneur? So along lines with my, uh, the, the quote about creativity is just connecting things. I think this is the role of education. If, if ideas, all ideas, uh, great ones and terrible ones, but predominantly great ideas are combinations of pre-existing ideas. 
And so the, the more diverse of an education that you get, the more exposure you get to a variety of different ideas, the more raw material you have to build on your great business idea or your great business model. So ed- education is extremely important. But on that note, I don't know that I, uh, and this is weird because I'm in the formal education system, I don't know that I fully trust that as sufficient. I think you need, everybody needs to take responsibility for their own education and be constantly seeking out new and diverse viewpoints and perspectives and books and articles and all of that so that you're building this big database of ideas mm-hmm. with which to draw from to combine and create your big idea. David, now we'll be actually diving more into the creativity and questions related to that. My question is, what makes someone more or less creative than others, especially in entrepreneurship or entrepreneurs? I think a lot of this comes down to how practiced and how well-versed they are in it. Uh, I think one thing not to neglect is actually the social environment they're in. So everybody is born with, I think, uh, the raw material they need to be creative. And then as we grow and we get older, we get less risk-averse. We get less exposed to new ideas. We lose that sort of childlike view of the world where we're seeing everything new. And re- rebuilding that sometimes takes time. So some people, I think, never fall out of that. They Even in school, they, these are the kids that don't fit in, the misfits, if you will, the ones that stay foolish, stay hungry, those type of people. Mm-hmm. Other people, I think, can learn it and can learn how to take new perspectives on the, on the world, new and different ones. So uh, I think it's a practice, and I think it's a practice that some people were able to spend their whole lives in, and other people need to redevelop because it's something that they lost over time for, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. But predominantly, it's the people that know the process and stay inside that practice. What could be the impact of a great or creative idea on a small business? I, I believe that ideas are the lifebloods of all business. You know, Peter Drucker, one of my intellectual heroes, says that all business is innovation and marketing. In essence, coming up with new ideas and marketing those new ideas. And so especially for a small business, for an entrepreneurial startup, where, where the where the business model is not fully permanent yet, you're still experimenting, you're still tweaking, you're still trying to figure out exactly what the business model is. Those are where having a constant stream of new ideas are really important and testing out every idea as it comes in because you're small enough to be able to test without a lot of damage. And the more ideas you get in, the more uh, you can refine that business model. You know, Linus Pauling said that the best way to get a good idea is to get lots of ideas. And I think that's true. The best way to get a great business model is to test out lots of ideas and figure out which ones work best. Okay, which is leading us to our next question. How to generate new creative ideas? So my favorite method is, is to explore connections. So I think there's, a, there's an idea that the best way to generate lots of ideas is to sort of brainstorm right, is to just go into a room and try and think of as many things as you can. But if you're alone in a room or even with three or four other people in a room, you're limited by the number of ideas that they have. And the real genius of getting multiple people in a room is not the ideas they can come up with, but if you can force those ideas to interact. When you see a lot of the businesses, business ideas that scale really, really well, they actually are an example of taking a different business model or a value proposition from one field and connecting it to a totally new one, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have... Uh, one of my favorite examples is is a company like a Netflix in the United States where they'll ship you DVDs or now stream movies straight online. That started out as taking a subscription business model to watching, temp- watch, renting movies, which I think is a wonderful idea of just connecting two different ideas. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, is the best way to generate new ideas is to look at what ideas are out there, what connections haven't been explored and try and do that. So a lot of times when I'm teaching people how to come up with more ideas, I'll give them two unrelated ideas and force them to explore where are three or four areas where these ideas intersect and you can apply 
different aspects from each one. And in doing that, it's, it's more than just brainstorming. It's more than just trying to come up with a list of ideas. It's forcing those ideas to interact. And out of that, you get even more ideas. What is the number one advice you would give to entrepreneurs when it comes to creativity or taking their business to the next level? Yeah, so, so the number one question that I ask them is, is who are you interacting with? Uh, I, I often tell people that you are in, in personal development or in your business, et cetera, you're the average of the five people you interact with the most. Uh, but in reality, the other thing that happens is if you're interacting with people who are in your exact industry, if you're in a certain, li- a certain industry and all of your friends are entrepreneurs in that industry, that's really dangerous because you're going to have a siloed impact of ideas. You're not going to get the, the diverse perspectives the ideas from a variety of different domains, you're not going to get that ability to connect new ideas mm-hmm. because you're limiting how much of the world you get to see. And so a lot of times when people are stuck and are trying to figure out how to refine their business model best, I'll ask who, who are you interacting with most and do you need to go out and interact with people in totally different fields in order to be able to borrow their brain, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and, and figure out new ways, new combinations of ideas. Why great ideas often get rejected, in your opinion? Yeah, so this is the mousetrap myth that we were talking about earlier is one of the top three. Uh, and this one I think is the top. Uh, I end the book with the discussion of this, this idea uh, when I spoke at the TEDx talk that I have is on this idea. And I think for entrepreneurs, this is an incredible one because, you know, we talked about earlier, most new businesses don't fail because their idea was bad. It's because they couldn't get that idea to spread quickly enough. The, the making the idea happen was harder. So <clears throat> it, it comes down to a, a trick of sort of human psychology. We celebrate great ideas and innovative thinking a lot more than we actually reward innovative mm-hmm. ideas and great thinking. For an idea to be truly creative, for it to be a disruptive innovation, it has to be new, it has to depart from the status quo, but it also has to be seen as useful or practical or valuable, new and useful. Right? Mm-hmm. But the only thing we have to judge the usefulness is our past experiences. And so if we're asking something to simultaneously depart from the status quo, but we're going to judge its value based on the status quo, based on past experiences, the very past experiences we're asking it to leave behind, that's really hard to do. And it, it turns out... Even in periods of uncertainty, you know, in the, in the United States in 2008, 2009, we had this, uh, the, the Great Recession, as they called it, where we, everybody, every business industry was uncertain and being rocked. And so we gave all of this uh, lip service, gave all of this talk about coming up with great ideas and got lots of new ideas. But getting them seen, getting them accepted was hard because everybody just wanted to cling to the old ways, to the status quo, to the traditions, the things they got used, that got used to. And so the businesses that actually got them to spread, they had a couple different things in common. And I, I think it's not a death sentence to say that all new ideas are going to get rejected, but they are going to have to go through a, a process to get accepted more readily. And, mm-hmm. and there's some great research by a gentleman by the name of Everett Rogers. Uh, Rogers wrote the ideas about the diffusion of innovation curve. You know, most people are familiar with terms like uh, early adopters, early majority, late majority. That, was, that came from Everett Rogers. And he also studied what does it take to get an idea through all of those different people groups and get it to scale. He said that they have five things in common. They have a relative advantage. So whatever the status quo is, this new idea has an advantage, an easily seen advantage over it. But it's also really easy to try that out. It doesn't take a lot of risk to experiment with that idea. Um, it also needs to be simple and easy to get our head around. So the more complex an idea, the lo- it's sort of like a joke. The longer I have to explain to you the joke, the less mm-hmm. funny it is. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with new ideas. The, the more you have to explain why it's a great idea, it's not a good idea. And then they also have to, in a sense, be compatible or be seen as, as the next evolution of where the old ways have led to. So that's not that even though we're departing from them, it's almost seeing it as approved by traditions in order to move us into the future. And then the last, and I think this is the, the most interesting, is observability. 
So you have the early adopters, but you have to be able, you have to have the early majority be able to see that the early adopters are having a huge relative advantage in their life. Mm -hmm. So for example, just before this, we were talking about the iPhone 5 versus the iPhone 6, right? And you were saying you absolutely love it. You are proving that observability. The easier it is for you to use and the more I can see your excitement in it, the more quickly that new technology will spread. And so you Mm -hmm. see this in a lot of different companies, a lot of products that scale quickly. There, it's not just so much that they're a great idea, but it's also really easy to see that the people who took the risk the first time around in trying it experienced a huge relative advantage. And I can see it, and that makes me more likely to want to try it. How entrepreneurs can get their ideas accepted? So I think looking at your idea and looking at it through those, those five factors that Everett Rogers has, relative advantage, he calls it trial ability, simplicity, compatibility, and observability, the ability to see that advantage. That I teach people is a framework for looking at your idea. If your idea doesn't meet those five criteria, your idea is not good enough yet. It might seem like a great idea, but it's going to probably get rejected. It's not going to get executed. And so Mm -hmm. you have to think through not just in your marketing, but also in the design of the idea. Mm -hmm. How can I make sure that people see it has a relevant advantage? Mm -hmm. How can the people who try it out early, how can I demonstrate quickly that the people who have tried it have seen it? You know, if you've ever watched uh, in, in the United States, there are all of these infomercials about weight loss and they always show these before and after pictures. They're showing it because of observability, mm-hmm. even though most of them are fake. What it, what it is, is they want you to see really quickly. If you try this, you'll get results. Awesome. And so there'll be a few people that'll just get it and try it out. And you as the entrepreneur need to make sure that you can see their, you can show off their success to the world so that more people will be willing to try it. Awesome. Dave, right now we're actually going to dive into a little bit of your personal experiences as well in your journey. What is the best advice you ever received? The best advice I ever received was probably to say no more often. But uh, what I mean by that is uh, I, I think everybody is really proud of saying I'm so busy. Mm-hmm. right? And, and I get students, I get entrepreneurs that I work with. I get a lot of different people when we talk about, oh, why haven't you done this yet? They say, oh, I'm just, I didn't have enough time. That's my, my favorite phrase because it's total rubbish. I didn't have enough time. We all have 168 hours in a week. You know, we have 24 hours in a day. We have 365 and a quarter days in a year. We all have the exact same amount of time. The question is, what are you filling it with? And when someone says, I don't have time, what they're really saying was, I have other things that I've decided are a higher priority than this. And therefore, I'm not going to allocate it any time. And for me, that takes the form of being able to actually say no to things from the perspective of if I get an invitation to something, if I get an offer to do something and I'm saying no to it, it's because I'm protecting my time so that I can say yes to other things that are more important. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I realize, especially in creative work, especially in if you're trying to start a business or you're just trying to launch a new creative product, or for me, I'm about to start writing the second book, I need to say no to lots more things so that I can say yes to that one big thing. Great. Can you share one of your personal habits that contributed to your success? Absolutely. So this goes along with that idea of who you're interacting with and who are you connecting ideas with. I um, I wish I could... Re- I, I want to say I... I stole this from Keith Ferrazzi, who was the never eat alone networking guy. He said that he has a personal rule. I think it was every day, but I said it as every week. I try and introduce two people who don't know each other to each other every single week. And mm-hmm. so I'll send an email. Usually now I do a sort of an opt-in. So I'll, you know, I'll clear it with both parties ahead of time that they're going to get introduced. And then I'll say, you know, uh, so-and-so meet this person. I think you guys would really benefit for this reason. So here's some things you should talk about. I'll let you take it from here. And just allowing to grow. In a sense, I get to grow my network because I'm connecting other people and I'm making that network more valuable. So I try and introduce two people who haven't interacted before to each other every week. If you just recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? (laughs) 
Um, I had been struggling with this since we started, but I think I'm going to go with Little Bets by a friend of mine, Peter Sims. Uh, Little Bets comes from that this idea of failure and, le- and learning out of failure. And Peter, Peter sort of coined this term Little Bets, but the best organizations, even Fortune 500 companies that are very innovative, so your Googles and Apples, they're the ones that take lots of little bets and learn from them. What we mean by Little Bets is they take lots of little risks. They know how much they can lose on each risk. And the idea isn't that any one idea will pay off really well. It's that we're going to we're going to put a broad spectrum of ideas out there. Two or three are going to succeed. The others will probably fail, but we'll learn a lesson in that. And then the next round of ideas that we put forth are going to be able to be better. And so Peter makes a wonderful case on why we need to take a lot more little bets in our businesses, but also in our lives and be able to sort of experiment with ideas and give them some time to test. Because as we talked about earlier, if it's, if it's a great idea, it's probably not going to accept it right away. There's some tweaking that needs to be done. Even your great business idea probably has some tweaks to the model it has to do. And the only way you do that is by taking lots of little experiments throughout the process. Great. David, we have reached the end of our episode today. We would like to get one piece of guidance on how our listeners can find you and reach you. So I was, I was blessed with a very uh, interesting name. So my family name is Burkus, B-U-R-K-U-S, which means if you type David Burkus into Google, you'll find all sorts of stuff. Um, my website is davidburkus.com, and if you go there, you can find any other way you want to connect with me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, etc. The reason I, I, I say that over... Um, sort of the book is that on that website too, I have a ton of different free resources about the book. So um, I've got everything from full-length keynotes to workbooks to interviews with people, longer interviews with people that I interviewed for the book, all sorts of resources, mm-hmm. all at davidburgess.com. And then from there, you can go to whatever social network you, you prefer and connect with me there. Awesome. On behalf of our listeners and followers, we want to thank you for your time of sharing your creativity tips and ideas for entrepreneurs. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been exciting to be here. I'm, I'm loving the trip, so I'm enjoying spreading awesome. these ideas. Awesome. And we hope you enjoy your stay in Kuwait. Thank you. You're welcome. الحين وصلنا إلى نهاية حلقة اليوم من بودكاست Launch Talk المتخصص في تغطية الأحداث والإطلاقات في عالم الأعمال في العالم وفي الكويت بشكل خاص. البودكاست موجود في الآيتونز وتكترون تتابعون حلقاتنا وتسوون سبسكرايب من خلال برنامج بودكاست الموجود في الأب ستور لأجهزة الآيفون والآيباد والآيباد بالإضافة إلى برنامج ستيتشر الموجود لكل الأجهزة أو عن طريق موقع البودكاست launchonfire.com وهم تابعوا حساباتنا في مواقع التواصل الاجتماعي at launchonfire وإذا عندكم أحد مهتم في إدارة الأعمال والمشاريع الصغيرة المتوسطة دزوا له لينك الموقع أو سووا له منشن في مواقع التواصل الاجتماعي ونلقاكم إن شاء الله في الحلقة الجاية.